0: <laughs> you are listening to Cut Jib Newsletter Speaks, the podcast. This is uh, series number six, episode ten, I believe, for Tuesday, the twenty fourth of January, twenty twenty four. J.J. Sefton here, along with my good friend, co-blogger, co-host, and colleague, CBD, and today we have a very, very special guest and uh, another one of our very good friends and and an expert in the fields of uh, the insanity that is the uh, the red, green, environmental nonsense. Our very own Buck Throckmorton. Buck and CBD, uh, welcome to the
1: show.
2: Well, Buck, hey guys, I, thank
1: you. I, Go ahead. Oh, no, I'm CD. sorry,
2: uh, Buck. I apologize for stepping on all of you. I was going to introduce you. I mean, I mean, th- you're famous now. Um, for our listeners who don't know, Buck uh, was recently offered a, a position at the Pipeline, which is a wonderful, wonderful uh, political website um, run by Michael Walsh, who's um, who's been on our uh, our podcast before. He's he's great, and Buck's uh, expertise which is what I was talking with him uh, before we started recording, is the evisceration of the electric vehicle scam. Um, I don't know anyone, I've never seen anyone on the internet destroy them the way Buck has. Um, and he's, we're going to give him an opportunity to do that in a few minutes. Um, but in the meantime, uh, let's let's welcome him. Buck Throckmorton. Hey, guys. great Buck Throckmorton.
1: Oh, y'all, you're, you're, you're too kind. No, it's a... Uh tremendous privilege to to be on y'all's podcast and it's yeah obviously a, a tremendous privilege when when your friend michael walsh reached out and and invited me to contribute to the pipeline um and that doesn't change anything about my contributions to um the ace of spades blog there's no better um Blog, no better network of people. What a fun, um, amazing readership um, it has, and the and the friends and, and relationships I've, I've gained from Ace of Spades. I would never ever leave that. It's just going to be a little, a little more writing about something I'm quite passionate about: the the fraud of the electric vehicle transition um, and the pipeline. I, I can't quote their um, specific mission specifically, but it's to challenge the whole eco-communist um new new world order that's being trying that they're tr- that's trying to being imposed on us by the wef and the globalists and they, they tackle all the the various tentacles of that fraud be it the climate hoax um the net zero and all those other things and just i've sort of carved out a lane with my passion about um electric vehicles so deeply honored to have that opportunity to write about that there but um it's again it's a great privilege to be on the podcast with you all today
2: well thank you for joining us you know it's very interesting um i i've read your your stuff with great interest over at ace of spades um and at you know at the very very beginning i thought you know buck might be a little you know a little aggressive and not 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 hysterical but certainly wish casting that the evs are going to collapse um the way he suggested and in reality, uh, you might have been a little bit gentle on the entire EV scam. You know, I, I, what, what happened recently, um, in, in particular Chicago, where people discovered that that batteries lose lose potency in cold weather. Now, I, you know, the last time I checked in the United States, we've got a fair number of people living in, in cold weather areas. And a lot of them are buying, well, not very many of them, but some of them are buying EVs and they're turning into uh you know 50 or 100,000 dollar uh doorstops which makes me laugh there's no other way to p- to put it it makes me laugh i'm glad it happened maybe it, this is the beginning of the end of the ev scam and i by the way folks i call it a scam for a very very good reason it is a scam the uh the tax breaks that that these companies have been getting and these these purchasers have been getting uh come right out of your pocket
1: Yeah, absolutely. There is not a market for EVs without government incentives, government mandates beyond this boutique niche that Tesla has carved out and more power to them. And frankly, I'm grateful that Elon Musk has um, strangely become an ally of us in free speech and fighting wokeness. But that doesn't change the fact that the um, EVs are nothing more than a status seeking boutique niche product that not only does not have mass market appeal but it cannot be a mass market vehicle it's just too limited it's much not unlike if if um the government government were to mandate that two seat sports cars you know the Mazda Miata was the only thing we could drive and that's also kind of where my passion comes in i have nothing against people driving mazda miatas but if the government said that the only vehicle that people can drive is a mazda miata I would be passionately opposed to it. I would have the same passion about fighting Mazda Miatas as I do EVs because it's being forced on us. It's being mandated and it, it is not going to work. And something I've really been stressing here recently is that, um, well, I put this, this past week that so many people have finally got the first kick from the mule, whether it's um, people who bought EVs and realize just how limited they are and how, if you're in perfect weather and you don't need to go more than thirty or forty miles, fine. But that's not where most of us live our lives, and Hertz is, has discovered that it just doesn't work for a rental car. The whole charging issue, the the, the consumer rejection, so um, the whole thing is is failing. But one thing that also, when I've talked when I talk to people about what is my my passion and motivation, it's I'm actually trying to influence opinion from where we started and the whole bunch of other conservative writers throughout the blogosphere and on conservative um, media. It's not enough to say if people want to buy EVs, fine, but we're going to fight the mandates. No, they came after me. So I'm coming after them. And, and I want every conservative to not just say, Oh, EVs are fine. I want conservatives to assertively reject and passionately fight against the EVs. I want them to make the affirmative decision not to buy an EV as a political decision because they're trying to force it on us.
2: Yeah, that's that's yeah. an incredibly important point. The, the 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 days of being passive and allowing the free market to act, uh whatever free market we have left and to allow people the the freedom to do what they wish, uh, that's over because we are not allowed to do what we wish. We are being as as Buck has explained, we are being forced into EVs or nothing and it, it it is it is now time to fight. We need to put push back effectively, we need to push back aggressively and we never 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 need to to accept the the status quo of oh well EVs are are you know it's the wave of the future. It will eventually get better. Sure, it'll eventually get better when we build another hundred thousand charging stations and another hundred and fifty or two hundred nuclear power plants and a couple of trillion dollars worth of, of transmission infrastructure to to provide the the electricity to run these these vehicles. And even then, it ain't gonna work.
0: Yeah, I was—I was, I so, was going to say, Steve, Yeah, you, you echoed my thoughts, and bravo and kudos to to, to Bucks Rock Morton, because I think, uh, you uh, obviously, and along with the pipeline and a few other places, were we're very much out front about this. And again, it's not about the free market. There is no, you know, if if somebody, whether it's, um, you know, uh, Elon Musk or whomever, builds the better mousetrap and is able to, you know, you know, to, to beat the, you know, to to beat the the current technology you know, fine, let it let, you know, fossil fuels and and it's not even fossil fuels because we're finding them on on extraterrestrial bodies now. I don't know if anybody saw that story, but in any case, beating oil, beating coal, beating natural gas, beating nuclear, if you can do that, that's fine and and let it happen. But it's not going to happen because, as you said, CBD, the infrastructure is not there and also the generation uh, capacity is not there. Uh, Solar solar panels, wind, um, unicorn farts, whatever it is is not going to generate the energy that we need, period, to, to run uh, on electricity. It's just not going to happen, at least not in, in our lifetimes, unless somebody comes up with some magic you know, thing that's the size of a watch battery that can power a, a city the size of Toledo in, for for three months straight without needing recharging. When it happens, wonderful. But until then, you cannot force this upon us. I mean, if you do try to force this upon us, it's to to sort of have a pun here is putting the you know putting the, the horse or the cart in front of the horse. Thing doesn't exist yet, but that's not the goal. The goal for this administration, via the globalists, via the crazy environmentalists, is to wipe out oil, coal, and natural gas, and and you know, not just as a source of fuel, but also when they do this, and we've talked about this in the past, everything we touch, eat, smell, feel, whatever that we buy, in some way, shape, or form is either made by or must require carbon in some form to, to manufacture. And you're not gonna replace that. It's just, it's impossible because carbon is life, period, end of story.
1: Absolutely. And one more thing uh, along these lines before we move on is that um, I am doing a um, celebratory dance with many others that we, this is the turning point is that, that um, um, my first pipeline article about how EVs have the whole, the transition has run out of gas and there's been some really great (laughs) stuff throughout um, conservative media about how this is um, a turning point. The EV um, revolution has hit a wall. It's dead. Great. But you know what? The the, war is not over because they came after us and it's not enough to say, okay, we fought back. Um, You didn't, um, your, your invasion failed. And so it's okay. No, you came after us. The people that came after us, after us, have to suffer, and so I've, I've made it clear to some of my correspondents, you know, quietly, pl- that Team EV wasn't okay just to sell how great their vehicles are. They tried to ban my vehicle, and so yes, we stopped their attack on us, but they have to suffer for the attack on us. It's not enough to say we fought them all for now, and so we're just going to prepare for their next attack on us. No, and so frankly um i don't have the power but if i could i would ban evs i would ban lithium-ion batteries why as punishment for them coming after us they need to learn that if they try to take something from me they're going to lose something
2: you know that's interesting and and uh banning lithium batteries isn't such a bad idea because they are a huge huge fire hazard so we get the the double whammy of of banning them just to piss off the ev acolytes and <laughs> maybe saving some lives you know i i've, I've I've rented a couple of uh, cars in the last month or so um, through a horrid, horrid company called Avis. By the way, folks, they stink. Um, anyway, uh, at both of the facilities from which I rented my vehicles, there, they were pushing EVs. I, I walked in and they said, uh, you know, here, here's your Tesla x 3 or three whatever the hell it was I don't remember I said no I'm sorry I reserved a full-sized um gasoline powered car I would like that um and it's interesting you know you walk out into these huge lots um and uh they're filled with EVs and nobody's renting them now that's obviously anecdotal you know I'm talking about seeing two large parking lots over the cor- over the past month but you know I- I have to I have to base my experience on what I have seen and what I have seen in these in these rental agencies is that they're not getting the response that they accept that that they wanted.
0: You know, it's it's CBD just just it's interesting. This is, you know, the market is at work. People are afraid of these things and rightly so, because. Even just putting the issue of the safety of the battery aside, which do, which does catch fire and can catch fire. It's the range issue. OK, where are you going to find a, a charging station, depending upon where you're driving? I mean, it's one thing to rent a car like in New York, rent a, an electric vehicle, let's say in New York City or a pretty big metropolitan area where if you run out of juice, so to speak, uh, you know, you pull over or you, whatever you're, you're you pull over in the, on the si- side of the road there on the, on the street and, you know, you catch subway or you catch something to get the thing charged up. Or you call the rental car company to say, take this fricking lemon away from me. But you're not going to be driving this thing in the country or in the sticks, especially in cold or horrible weather and places where, you know, a place where you're renting a car in, in unfamiliar territory for the first time. The last thing you need to do is the thing to run out of juice and you're just stuck in the middle of nowhere. So nobody wants this, but to, but to Buck's point of fighting back and in general, The one thing is whether it's an election, whether it's a law, whether it's something that the left miraculously, we get to stop it or overturn it or win a victory. No matter how, you know, crucially the crucial the victory is, they never stop. There is no way that they are going to stop now uh, on their quest to, you know, they're not going to just have introspection and say, Hey, I guess we were wrong. And I guess this whole thing is a mistake and let's move on. No, they're they are going to force this thing down our throats, no matter what it is. And that's why, you know, we always have to be vigilant and 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 kudos to you again, Buck, for, you know, for kicking it up a notch and kicking them rhetorically right right in the the cojones and and to get the point across. Because this unfortunately, we're going to have to fight these people now like forever. And if that's the case, then so be it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Lay off my ICE vehicle. Um, And if you don't, I'm going to take your EV from you. So how about if you want your EV lay off?
0: I'll accept that. <laughs> I know, love other- <laughs> this. this
2: is, you know, just, you know, for, for so many years, the conservative movement and the Republicans have tried to be above the fray, have tried to to play nice, you know, to be collegial. Uh, we all wanted to be uh, William F. Buckley, you know, sitting with, wearing a tweed, you know, tweed jacket and a nicely knotted tie and, and chatting about fascinating philosophical, uh, political philosophies. Well, no, as Buck pointed out, we need to punish them. We need to hurt them. We need to fight back. And we need to throw the first punches in this one. And it and it seems like that the overreach of the EV scam uh, has given us a wonderful opportunity. So uh, m- more power to you. You know, Buck sounds like a really nice guy, but he's cruel when it comes to, to EVs. <laughs> I really enjoy that.
0: Well, Vic, Victor Davis Hanson will enjoy that, too, because he is a cruelty buff of uh, ace of spades. <laughs> yes. But you know something, CBD, you mentioned William F. Buckley. And I will say this. At one point, he had that idiot Gore Vidal on his show and he said, I'm going to punch you right in the nose. So, I mean, uh, you know, <laughs> again, it's the fact that the Republicans and, and everybody accepts the fact that you know when they get a defeat, whether it's intentionally sabotaging us or not. They just say, oh, well, we'll get them next time and whatever. But the Democrats and the leftists never stop Pelosi. I remember during the whole Obamacare thing, if we can't get through the front door, we'll go through the side door, can't get through the side door, we'll go through a window, can't get through the window, we'll pole vault, pole vault over the thing. And they never, And I admire them at this They'll by hook or by crook, they get their shit rammed down our throats and it's time that we you know, we have, we have to take a stand against that. And unfortunately, as I said, this is now a permanent uh, divide that we have with them. And until somehow things change, uh, there's a sea change in the way that our, our governmental and our, our politics and our culture work, but always got to be on the alert.
2: Well, that's a very good segue. I mean, I could I could talk EVs um, all day, but uh, I lo- would like to move on to some other topics. But as a segue, um, I would like to, to ask Buck, about something that he discussed recently, I believe, on um, Ace of Spades, and that is that we should fight nationally, um, but that conservative battles can actually be won locally.
1: Oh, absolutely. Whether it's school boards, state level, there's so many places that we're having conservative victories. And part of it is it, it's not right, and and it's, it's a contradiction to the federalism in our constitution, and that there is too much national power. So we're obsessed about Congress, the Supreme Court, and so forth. But so much is still done locally and at the state level, and the huge pushback against ESG, against the um, against the various bond villains like um Klaus Schwab and and oh good god the the BlackRock guy um. Um
0: Larry Fink, Larry
1: but it's, Yeah, but it's it's state um treasurers and state attorney generals that are putting these people on the defensive. And you I'm a huge DeSantis fan. Um what he's done in pushing back. I'm Abbott is getting some backbone. Um, but oh that, that I apologize that I didn't mean that at all. I just sounded that I apologize. Um I'm I'm talking about fortitude. Um and um uh, we can fight. Wait, 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 <laughs> wait, wait. wait. Let's back. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Well, I, was I thought that was great. No, <laughs> I, I didn't mean it at all like that, y'all. No, that's <laughs> I did not mean it at all. I was in a wheelchair. I didn't mean it at all like that.
2: Oh,
0: go, <laughs> oh, please. That's all right. <laughs> Hey, Franklin you know, Roosevelt had backbone. It's okay for you know if it's okay for Roosevelt, it's okay for him. Yeah.
1: <laughs> exactly. But that the, the battles can be fought and won at, at at state level, city level, county level, school board level, precinct level. And we're fighting back against ESG. We're fighting back against the, the bond villains. We're um we're we're getting um the, the 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 pornography out of schools in certain school districts that, that the left is pushing. And it's um, I, you know, I, I applaud the political activism of of people that are really focused on the national races, but we can win battles locally.
0: You know, it's it as a segue into that, and you mentioned uh, our holy roller, Greg Abbott. Now I'm in trouble. Um, as we all as broke today, uh, Greg Abbott has been having this feud at at the with with the Biden hunter about stopping the the illegal alien invasion that's coming through through Texas and into the rest of the country. And essentially it's been a showdown between a Mexican standoff if you will between him and and Biden. And and while while Abbott and his uh, his authorities are putting up razor wire, the feds are coming in and tearing it down. And this now went to the Supreme Court and you know surprise surprise Uh, Justice Roberts, along with Amy Coney Island or whatever the hell her name is, have decided to to, to rule with the leftists in favor of Biden, at least temporarily. And, you know, Abbott, to his credit, is saying, you know, to hell with you when uh, he didn't actually come out and say we are going to disregard the SCOTUS decision, which, I mean, God, that would have been fantastic if he did. But he said, we're going to fight this. And I think he has indicated as of this morning that he's just he essentially is going to nullify the decision and he's going to continue to pull up, put up razor wire. And if the feds want to tear it down, he's just going to not stop because this is destroying Texas and it's destroying the country. And what the feds are doing, it's intentional. It's an intentional abrogation of their duty to secure our borders and to, and to ensure the safety of the citizenry and if that isn't treason folks I don't know what is but it's an interesting nullification fight and it definitely points to the way of of uh, you know the states and the local level doing what has to be done if the feds refuse to do it or can't do it
2: well it's going to be interesting um, as, as Buck has said um, uh, Abbott is showing some backbone sorry Buck I'm running with this one it's great <laughs> um and and I I think that if he if he keeps fighting um he will win this battle. And and of course the, the question is what can the federal government do about this? Are they going to go toe to toe with the Texas Rangers with the uh you know with, with the uh with the wh- whoever Abbott is using to uh to push back on the border. I don't know that that's a, a very a realistic thing for the for the federal government to do. I think they're going to keep fighting in court. But I do not think that they are going to become violent. And that is in Abbott's favor. And it's in Texas's favor. And it's in America's favor.
1: Absolutely. And a couple of things along those lines. Um, first off, Joe Biden has already established the precedent that if you don't like a Supreme Court decision, ignore it. His um, student loan forgiveness, they, the Supreme Court could not have been more explicit. And Biden just, well, um, he doesn't care. So he's still... W- waving some magic wand that i can't find in the constitution um is is forgiving student loan debt despite the supreme court's ruling beyond that the the the, the supreme court ruling <laughs> it's easy to read it's like a page and it says nothing but so is the supreme court saying so long as the the president of the united states wants to allow a foreign invasion of our country uh, uh a property owner, be it state or person cannot put up a barrier to stop criminal trespass on their property. That's effectively what's being said. That can't hold. And so, yeah, no, but it is time for a, um, um, an Andrew Jackson moment from governor Abbott to say, um, okay, you you want this, you want to cut down this concertina wire, come and take
2: it. Absolutely. So let's, let's, let's stick with, with SCOTUS, uh, Supreme court uh, decisions. Um, there, there are a couple of very – actually, more than a couple of very, very interesting things coming down the pike. Um, the first one uh, near and dear to my heart is the uh, a, a, a red flag law um, case before the Supreme Court, um, and it's going to force the Supreme Court to make a decision about the Second Amendment and i think it's going to be very very interesting and the and everybody knows what red flag laws are and that is that that your gun rights can be taken away by pretty much anyone uh w- without without benefit of a of a trial and supreme court's going to speak on this and i think it is going to be very very interesting
0: agreed um you know you, you what is the nature of a red flag law i mean again it's <sighs> When you look at things in a certain light, you say, well, you know, it sort of makes sense. We don't want crazy people. We don't want certain people to have, you know, to have weapons and so on and so forth. And then you read, you know, the the, the Second Amendment is very clear uh, when they say, "What what is it about shall not be abridged, the right to bear arms that people don't understand? Now, that said, there are, I mean, since what probably since 1934, since the Federal Firearms Act, there have been so many um shall we say, laws and things that have nibbled away and have torn away holes, you know, the, the meaning and the spirit of, of the Second Amendment uh, up until the present point. Uh, yes. Can, can I go out and buy a 50 caliber Browning Ma-Deuce? Uh, maybe, maybe not. I probably can. But even if I could, the, the price would be so prohibitive that I couldn't buy it. But that said, to intentionally do things like uh, make make bullets, uh, declare that bullets are an environmental hazard and therefore ban the sale and manufacture of them. That's the way of going around the spirit of the law. Now, at the same token, I believe that there are reasonable laws already on the books that are minimally invasive to to the Second Amendment around the country. And CBD, I think you're more of an expert on Second Amendment law than I am that prevent crazy people from getting these guns and getting things but at the same token is there anything that prevents a crazy person from getting a steak knife is there anything f- from preventing a crazy person from getting poison a uh, hello tylenol 1982 is there anything or preventing or gasoline or or you know or whatever or an automobile and so on and so forth so the fact no. that it's guns is 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 ridiculous i mean you know it's the only reason that they're trying to prevent uh, the sale of firearms to to forget about people who are crazy, but just the ordinary citizen is because that is the last and uh, you know firewall between absolute tyranny and people defending themselves from a feral government, as it was two hundred years ago and as it is right until today. Go to any major yeah, any dictatorship in history, and what's the first thing that Hitler, Stalin, Mao, and everybody went after? Private citizens owning guns, and they gave them up, and look what happened.
1: Of course, and if, if all you need to do to um, take someone's guns is to declare them crazy, all three of us will quickly be declared crazy.
2: Exactly. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. Because if it, folks, if you don't think that this will be weaponized against the conservative movement in the United States, you're nuts. So th- well, there's actually yeah. a, a very interesting um, case that I just read about before Scotus, and I think that um, that Buck might have something to say about this. This is the SEC versus Jarkese, which is essentially. The, the SEC um, fined this guy's financial advisory firm um, a bunch of money. They found they found him guilty of securities fraud and ordered him to pay a civil penalty of, uh, I don't know, about $750,000. I'm, I'm not sure exactly how much it was. Um, and then the this guy named Jarkese petitioned the Fifth Circuit to review the SEC's order, saying that he didn't have a trial by jury. You know, the Seventh Amendment guarantees a t- trial by jury. So this has gone all the way to the Supreme Court, and this is going to challenge the SEC and their ability to to find guilty people who have not had civil trials. And I think it's a fantastic thing. Now, I don't know how it's going to be held. I I I couldn't I I couldn't even guess how the Supreme Court's going to hold. But I think it's an, another one of these things where where we are pushing back against the legislative caving to the to the deep state.
1: You know, I, I was pondering something when we were um, discussing or trading some uh, some emails about various ideas and um, that it looks like we're finally at a point now where there may be some pushback at, from the Supreme Court level. But, of course, I don't know <laughs> um, against the extra um, judicial and extra legislative um, um, fourth branch of government that. The permanent bureaucracy cannot make laws and the permanent bureaucracy cannot make um, judicial decisions. And that's what you're talking about here is the SEC um, arrogating unto itself the ability to um, be a judiciary. Um, But there's a little part of me that is so resigned to what has happened that I'm ready for a President Trump to come in and just say, "Okay, all this power that has been um, given to the permanent bureaucracy as head of the executive branch, I assume all that power, and so maybe we're finally going to see it pulled away. Right as President Trump is in a position in 2025 to um to use that power. Anyway, it's just a thought. Oh, that's no that,
0: that 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 that's a that's a great thought, and it also hard, it goes back to you know some of the things we we're talking about with Abbott and the states and pushing back. And it's interesting, you know, Buck, you mentioned that Joe Biden basically declared uh, when he said that. I hereby just decree that I'm going to pay off student loans and to hell with with the uh, with the Supreme Court. And then, of course, if the Supreme Court were to rule, if they had ruled in favor of uh, of Abbott and ultimately the decision is going to come down the pike, if they do, then watch the whole screaming and crying how the Supreme Court is completely, you know, it's illegitimate because it, uh, you know, it, it goes against the Constitution or some other bullshit than that. And the problem is we don't have. We have one side of the ledger that when they're in power or even when they're out of power, views the Constitution as either a shield or a cudgel or something just to be completely ignored in their pursuit of absolute power. But when we get the, you know, are are in charge, you know, they use everything in their in their power to stop us from doing the same kind of shenanigans and bullshit that they do. I mean, there's no, I mean, yes, in, in a logical world, Greg Abbott could say that, well, to hell with, to hell with the Supreme Court, because look what Biden did. And then Biden will say, well, to hell with the states. What are the states? Because they don't recognize the Ninth and Tenth Amendment. And ironically enough, the only time they recognized the Ninth and the Tenth Amendment was during slavery and also during <laughs> the whole sanctuary city kerfuffle. When all of a sudden they says, well, we, they say we have the right to do what we want. Then all of a sudden, yes, states' rights is, uh, you know, is holy and sacrosanct. But it just, it just points out the, the hypocrisy and the, the, Sort of the the catch twenty two of the situation we're we're in, where we have two completely different systems that have nothing in common with each other anymore, and you know it's it's just it, it's 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 crazy, and you know there's nothing short of a national divorce that I can see that's ever going to solve the situation, regardless of who who wins in, or or who steals it in twenty four. Fuck i yes. everybody <laughs> <laughs> yeah, We're all mute. <laughs> Are you? Who, somebody have the mute button on again? <laughs> no, no,
1: no. Okay.
0: No, know. Okay.
1: That was just a great soliloquy, JJ. Yeah, <laughs> I not want to interrupt.
0: How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. No, I'm not going <laughs> to do it. <laughs> yeah.
2: All right, so so let's move on a little bit. Um, let's go uh, international. Um, there's an interesting article in the Jerusalem Post about the people of Iran essentially versus their, their ayatollahs, their mullahs. And time and time again, we have seen pushback in Iran against the mullahs. And time and time again, uh, we our government has failed to support the people of Iran against the mad mullahs, and they have been crushed. And... The, the article talks about the, the current uh, issue, which is the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And Iran is trying to use it to, to, you know, to gin up support within Iran, and apparently it simply is not working. That The people of Iran are far more supportive of Israel's fight against, against uh, Hamas and the, and the murderous lunatics in Gaza than was expected. And it makes me sad. That we had ample opportunity, at least twice, to support the people of Iran and drive the mullahs into exile. And yet, because of the State Department and because of the Obama administration's love of Iran, we failed to support these people. And number one, thousands of them are now dead. And number two, we have a resurgent Iran uh, causing trouble all over the country, uh, all over the world. Uh, You know, the Houthis... Are being pushed by Iran. The the Syrian terrorists who are who are launching missiles at American bases every day are are supported by Iran. Hezbollah in Lebanon is supported by Iran, and obviously uh, Hamas in Gaza is supported by Iran.
1: Yeah. Well, once upon a time, our three-letter agencies might have been interested in um, toppling Iran instead of um, well. Um, uh, in, in mm-hmm. obedience to Obama supporting Iran, but that's I guess that's something I really don't don't dare touch. But um it is just heartbreaking that Obama and his puppet Biden, the love affair they have with Iran, and I I don't think Biden is smart enough to understand why um he's being instructed to support Iran. But we know without Obama why he did because he hates Jews and he hates Israel and it just it it just fills me with, with sadness.
0: We had Iran on the ropes several times. If you remember, go back to the, the so-called Arab Spring, which was no real Arab Spring. It was basically an uprising of fanatical Islamists in several countries against, you know, whatever the despot of Dujour who were controlling them, whether it was Egypt with, uh, you know, Morsi versus Sisi versus Morsi. And uh, Libya and Gaddafi being overthrown. Hello, Hillary Clinton, and so on and so forth. And every one of these things, there was always this rush by the Obama hunt and, and foggy bottom to support the people when the people were mad Islamists. At the same time, the Iranian people, the Iranian street was erupting. And there were a couple of times. One was during the Arab Spring, and he he ignored them. And he backed backed the mullahs that was number one i remember they even leaked i mean israel was ready at some point to, to do a uh, a strike from azerbaijan in the north which would have been a total surprise attack and obama leaked the information to the mullahs and there goes that but uh, you know and as we all know when when during the last right before the pandemic it when uh, when donald trump took out uh, the the one of the key figures uh, uh what's his name um i forgot his name uh, whatever the, the another bearded schmuck who's a terrorist. There's a big terrorist. And in, in Iran, they were on the ropes. It was literally about to happen. And then, of course, the pandemic hit. And we know what the, the rest is history. So and right now what's going on with 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 Iran backing all of all of these bad actors at the same time, where they're supposedly this close to finally going nuclear. This is this is an intolerable situation. You know, if I were the Israelis, I would say if there is real, you know, um, anti anti Mullah sentiment in the street, which I guess there is. Maybe they should start sending some some weapons uh, into Iran, because if Iran goes, uh, a lot of the crap that we're seeing in the the Middle East and around the world really uh, will will cease to be. And that wouldn't that be a lovely thing?
2: Well, uh, boy, you know, Trump killed. uh, What was the name? Soleimani, I think was Soleimani.
0: Yeah, I don't
2: know how to pronounce it. Um, And that sent a very, very clear message to the to the mullahs that they they can't fuck around that much and it was an important message and one that had we simply continued uh Iran would not be flexing its its muscles uh, across the world and yet as, you know as as both of you have explained you know the, this love affair the the Obama Biden love affair with Iran um is going to continue and unfortunately i it's going to get a lot of people killed and it's going to get uh it's going probably to Um, create a a larger war within the Middle East.
0: You know, there's a, you know, and and, it goes back to the border again. The the Obama-Junta, even with going after, it's amazing, they go after Greg Abbott for what he's doing, and they actually admitted that we expect a major terrorist attack on American soil as a distinct possibility, you know, within the next 12 months. And I'm going, you got to be effing kidding me. I mean, this is just this is madness. And we know that, first of all, Iran is is in bed up to the hilt with with Maduro down in Venezuela. And we have a shit ton of Venezuelans along with everybody else coming into the southern border. And we also have so many people coming in from Muslim predominant nations. And they're all virtually all of them are military age males. So, you know, the chickens are going to come home to roost here for sure. You almost want to believe that they want that to happen so they could use that as a pretext to like you know, cancel the elections. But I think that's tinfoil hat territory. But these days, I mean, wearing a tinfoil hat is like, you know, you can do that five times a day and it, it, it all seems plausible.
1: You know, it's interesting. I, plenty of people I, I know and have talked to about um, the the awful attack on, on southern Israel from Hamas. People just in disbelief about how um, the, the terrorist attackers came over completely unimpeded. And yet, even after that, we are enthusiastically leaving our southern border open for the same um, invasion of military-age young men. It's amazing.
2: Uh, it, it, the I, I think it's uh, actually I wrote about this on Ace of Spades this morning on my uh, morning rant, and that is that it's it's by plan. They are it they're is. trying to subsume uh, traditional American culture in a sea of of immigrant, uh, immigrants, of uh, wetbacks, of illegal aliens who will fundamentally change the character of the United States. This is not uh, by sloth. This is not inattention. This is by plan. And you, you know, know what a refugee not-
1: is? A refugee may be a, um, a woman. It may be a child. It may be a senior citizen. A refugee is not an unattached, young, fighting age male. If he's fleeing from something, he's the one who's supposed to stay behind and and, and fight to fix what the others are fleeing from as refugees.
0: Good, good points. You know, even the most benign of these these invaders, if it's a woman with two kids, three kids, that alone, even if they don't commit any crimes at all, their mere presence here puts such a burden on our taxpayers, on our social services, on so many things. And again, they are not pressured or Forget about it. There is no there is no incentive for them to, to learn English, to uh, try to assimilate. I mean, there's nothing left to assimilate. The country is gone. But that's another story. There's none of this. And of course, that's just the tip of the iceberg, so to speak. That's bad enough. But then we have all these people who mean us harm, whether it's just crime, anarcho-terrorism, whether it's rape, murder, robbery, assault, you name it. That are coming across the border with MS-13 and so on and so forth, and then of course we have Chinese military-age males who are coming here for God knows what reason, and then of course from the Islamic countries, which we know that, I mean, there was one incident: some some guy was uh, a, captured on, on a, a citizen journalist is saying, uh, "You'll know why I'm here soon enough." And the guy had a Middle Eastern accent, and I'm going, "Well, great, that's all we need now is a you know is, is a dirty bomb going off somewhere." But this is this is intentional. It's it's it's. You know, they they want to fund there it is, fundamentally transform the United States and they're gonna turn us into a mass grave one way or the other. The
2: thing is that we can have we can have unbridled um immigration or we can have a welfare state. We can't have both. You know, when my yep. when my great grandparents and actually my grandmother came, uh one of my grandmothers came here um at the end of the nineteenth century, um there was no welfare. My grandmother came with her mother, and they went and stayed with, with relatives, and then my grandmother did uh, peace work, and my grandmother, my great-grandmother did peace work, and my grandmother uh, went to the New York City public school system, where she learned perfect grammar, which to this day irritates the hell out of me, um, <laughs> and became, became a, a, a New York City school teacher uh, in her own right, and that's how it is supposed to work. The idea that these people come and are immediately put on the welfare rolls and to suck the, the sustenance out of out of the rest of America is disgusting to me. And then, in, in, you know, in addition to the to the unbelievable cost of each of these immigrants, they are bringing a foreign ethos to our shores and one that is going to destroy America.
0: And it's totally intentional, absolutely intentional. Yep. As we know, there's there's a thing called the Cloward-Piven strategy where you overload the welfare rolls, collapse the economy, and the communists come in and take mm-hmm. over and declare a socialist state. And the other part of that equation is these same socialists hate the American culture and history with such a passion by bringing in these millions and millions of, uh, of people from the third world and elsewhere who just do not want to or, or have also have a hate on for the United States for whatever reason. They're not going to assimilate, and that, and you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a one-two punch to destroy the culture, and destroy the economy, and destroy our national identity and and our nation to, you know, at the same time. It's all intentional. And if hey, look, if it's if a couple of uh, if a couple of dirty bombs go off somewhere, or if a car bomb goes off and a few hundred or a few thousand people die, it's uh, all about making uh scram- breaking the eggs to make a few omelets. That's what it's about.
1: Yeah, and what's really sad about it is. You- All three of us, we have um, recent, you know, in our ancestry, grandparents, great grandparents who came over from various countries. And immigration is like food and maybe even other things that it can be great or it can be bad. Um, Good food is is a great thing. Junk food is awful. And we've turned it upside down so that, I mean, I'll I'll be honest, I was one of those back in the day, an absolute pro-immigration makes our country better person. And when our team... um, most Republicans started um, conflating the term illegal immigration with immigration and stating that if I'm anti-illegal immigrant, I'm a racist anti-immigrant, they lost me. And then we've gone to such an extreme now because, you know, CBD, your your grandmother, your great-grandparents, they came over, they had to forsake all foreign allegiances. There was no welfare. They had to be able to work. They were going to get nothing. They had to pledge allegiance to this country. They had to learn the language. And they came in and They brought such a love for this country because of all that they had to give up to be American, that it made them um, among the best of Americans and made this country better. Because we now have a ruling class that despises this country, they are using immigration for the exact opposite purpose, to undermine this country with people that reject our country, reject our heritage, retain old um, uh, um, allegiances, and um, go straight to welfare. The whole thing, it's it's been inverted so that what can be a beautiful thing to build this great country is being used to, to hurt this country.
2: We use the example of, of uh, Indian immigration from, you know, from the subcontinent um, Indians in the United States are by and large, tremendously successful. Uh, I know that their, their average incomes are higher than, than uh, the average white income in this country um, because for the most part, they, they played the game correctly. They came legally correct, and they did exactly what our grandparents and great grandparents did. You know, they came and they, they got a, a low end job, but their kids uh, got a good education. They went to college and now their kids are, are doctors and lawyers and, and accountants and engineers. And that's the way it's supposed to work. And it worked very, very well for, for, for many, many Indians in this country. And, you know, for, for other, other ethnic groups but uh, but that's not who the Democrat Party wants to bring in and the and the Republican globalists want to bring in they want to bring in exactly the opposite of those people
0: exactly the, the you know the the American left or I call them the anti-american left really and they're home in the Democrat Party It all you know they, they thrive on uh, people who are, Poor, downtrodden, have nothing left, and turn to the government for sustenance. The squalor is their, is their stock in trade. And as we discussed, there I think I mentioned on one of my one of my editorials, the fact that Black America is now uh, on track to being, you know, to, to being essentially over the next perhaps hundred years almost extinct via intermarriage and, all a, and and mostly because of the social policies that were inflicted upon them. And now, all of a sudden, you have this great replacement theory. It's replacing replacing America as a whole, the American citizenry, and the Democrats replacing what used to be their main block, Black Americans, with this influx of millions of of uh, uneducated peasantry who don't speak English and who look to them, you know, to, to buy their votes essentially. And this is this is so freaking evil. It's it's horrible. But you know something, as we discussed. Forget about abortion. I think the number one issue now, along with the economy, because it's related, is the open border. And so many people see it. And I know it scares the shit out of uh, out of Biden. That's why I think in a way, Greg Abbott down there in Texas has almost the upper hand in dealing with this now because it's an election year. And if the government, if Biden does something to to mess this up, I mean, it's just, you know, I mean, the election shenanigans notwithstanding, it's a killer for the Democrats. I think they're going to get wiped out please god
2: absolutely and you know something we need we need uh greg abbott to stand tall here
0: (laughs) god love you chuck stand up chuck oh what am i talking about Uh, i'm sorry
2: i'm just gonna run with this one anyway i I would like to i i do want to toss something into into buck's lap and that is you know i read an article um recently about um what uh, uh, posing the question of are boeing's troubles a sign of the decline of high-tech u.s manufacturing and I thought that was a very interesting question because Boeing used to be, you know, the, the very pinnacle, the, the, the pinnacle of American high-tech design and manufacture. You know, you, you, you saw Boeing on the side of a plane and you knew it wasn't going to crash. Um, but now, obviously, uh, Boeing has problems that are huge. It's not just, you know, some knucklehead who failed to to tighten up a few bolts. It goes much, much farther than that. And, Buck, I'm curious what your thoughts are about that.
1: Yeah, I actually wrote about that um, recently. Um, Boeing clearly was such an amazing manufacturing, engineering, technological, everything you could take pride of, um, of American um, enterprise. Boeing was the company. And back around the year 2000, these things don't happen overnight, but... The the culture changed. That's when they moved from Seattle to Chicago, where the um, the numbers guy wanted to get away from those annoying engineers. And the whole um, I need to be careful. I, I, I rail against MBAs a little too much, but what, what I mean by MBAs is the whole Ivy League MBA culture. Not if someone's learning some um, advanced accounting at, at a at a state college MBA program, but um, that whole Ivy League MBA culture that you increase profit by cutting costs, cutting expenses, trimming. Um, reducing quality, reducing and anything you can to increase the bottom line, such that rather than um, improving sales and improving margins by a higher sales price or showing the value of the great engineering, the great technology, it was cut, 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 cut. and it and really the, the the open contempt that Boeing's management showed for the for the engineers and, and the designers. And it is coming home to roost that a whole culture of, of cost cutting above all else. And yes, businesses are in the have to be about making money and that they owe to their stockholders. And by the way, it's stockholders, not stakeholders, which is a whole other thing where we've lost our um, executive class. But simply cutting costs and, and reducing development costs and cutting corners does well. All you can do is goose profits short term and now it's all um all, all coming coming home with with the crisis in in the airline industry right now with with them faulty airplanes it's it's a shame
0: it's a it's it's a crying shame i mean boeing i mean just as a, as a, as an america buff and as a military buff i mean when you think back to uh, the iconic if people don't know this the iconic b seventeen flying fortress the b fifty two Strata Fortress, which is still flying today, it's almost it's 90 or 80 or 90 years old. Or I think it's over 80 years that it took its first flight. Uh, all of these things, they 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 gambled the company on these amazing designs. The 747. They gambled that uh, that mass transit, mass transport of air travel as opposed to speed was the wave of the future. And they won and they built the 747. They built the 707. They were fantastic aircraft. And they these were people who were engineers and were pilots. And they knew, like you say, Buck, they they sold quality. They sold, uh, you know, all of these things and, and, and technological you know, marvels and, and that, that were solid and solidly built and, and understood the market. And now, yes, it's cost cutting, cost cutting, cost cutting. On top of that, there's also the diversity, equity, inclusion nonsense where you have, uh, you know, the president of United Airlines, uh, traipsing about as a transvestite on, on camera and all of these things. And so who's designing our planes? Who's, who's running the show? It's these freaking Ivy League eggheads. Who who don't know you know who who know, don't know their ass from their elbow and are promoting yes the cost cutting as well as promoting people who are inept and incompetent in making the decisions on where to cut the costs and this is uh, this is not good so you know for, whether it's an air a window blowing out or whether it's the, the fiasco of the seven thirty seven max an entire fleet having to be grounded um, and now extrapolate that not only to Boeing. But to almost every other sector of our economy, and uh, yeah, this is this does not bode well.
2: And what's what's interesting is that uh, you know, as as perhaps uh, engineering um, decays in the United States, uh, we have the correlation of as Buck has pointed out that men are abandoning college. Now, what does that mean for, for U.S. high tech manufacturing? Does it mean that we're gonna we're gonna be producing fewer engineers good engineers and uh you know we'll have people who are plumbers and electricians and uh and car mechanics who are making a ton of money but maybe maybe men abandoning college isn't such a good thing
1: yeah well right now we're just pushing way too many people into college that don't need it and absolutely architecture engineering there needs to be a four-year um there needs to be a a college level Degree for that, but you know what? It does not need to be paired with an, an institution that has grievance studies and humanities. So maybe with the collapse of of colleges, which may be a slow slow moving thing that's going on right now that we can barely see, but it's it's, it's crumbling. We can divorce those those fields that need a uh, a four year or more degree post high school, but so much doesn't. And, and frankly, um. As much as I rail against the finance and accounting guys and executive suites, I'm a finance and accounting guy. You know what? I didn't, as a hungover 20 year old, um, learning about business management. That doesn't apply to anything I do in my career. It would be nice for people going into those fields, maybe a year and a half or two years of 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 accounting and finance classes. You don't. Right now, we're, we're clinging to the college experience and pushing so many people into that, and then the whole college industrial complex, which is loading up so many people with debt that never even stay in school for more than a year or so. But the the existing structure of, of higher education absolutely has to change. Those who need advanced degrees, there needs to be a place to get them. Um, but the trades are, are so lucrative. I wrote about this recently, how um, it's, it's now less than 40% of, of young men graduating from high school are going into college. And you know what? they're thriving because there are so many trades and rather than being steered to a a corporate cubicle, they're getting into small businesses and and opportunities to thrive. I pointed out how there's two members of my family that um, have had amazing careers. They never went one day of college. Um, One of them right out of college started working in a a restaurant kitchen uh, in food prep, went on to become a very successful real estate developer before retiring early. Another one started out of high school as a small engine mechanic. He's now a defense contractor that owns his own business. People that, um, and Michael Walsh also talks about this a lot, people that have drive, initiative, intelligence, and work ethic, they're going to thrive. Um, And the college, making a correlation between going to college and their success is incorrect. Correlation is not causation. If we steer those kind of people into college, yes, they're going to succeed. But if they don't go to college, they're also going to succeed.
0: Absolutely. There's, there's also something that, that, there's kind of a, a thing that we touched upon with electric vehicles and so on and so forth and the regulatory state. If it weren't for an EPA and so many other things and OSHA and, and on and on and on, so much of American industry never would have left our shores. And we need to bring back, you know, we need to onshore in a massive way and cut the regulations, cut the red tape that Trump tried to do and to a certain extent, I think, was starting to perhaps succeed so we can bring real heavy industry back to the United States. And once you do that, you know, you give people the, the, the reason to take trade trade schools, to do things like um, become a machinist, become a tool and die maker, become an electrician, become you know a carpenter so on and so on and so forth all of these things we need because when when things start breaking down and nobody knows how to you know to change a tire let alone how to a, a, put a, a ballpoint pen replacement back in their pen, we are going to be seriously screwed. And so one washes the other. The reason that we have the college experience, or one of the big reasons, was because there was no incentive to go into the trades anymore, because nobody needed oil workers, nobody needed, you know, um, you know roustabouts, and so on and so forth. We have to have a, a culture that does this, and we have to bring back industry, and then we have to do a strategic you know technical initiative where you give and i would be all in favor of this of having kids you know either from whatever walk of life they have to you know do a service where they will learn a literal they literally will learn a trade and then put them to use and then you know they they pay back that's where that's where college loans i think are good instead of studying you know, lesbian poetry of the Incas and how to blow up uh, the United States Capitol in two easy lessons, point uh, two, uh, let them learn a trade and put them to work in, you know, in business. And this is, this will bring us on the road back, I hope, I think. Well,
2: I right? think it, actually, I think it's even worse than what you've described. Um, you know, Buck, you, you mentioned a uh, a relative who began as a small engine mechanic and now has a a, has a defense firm. Um, you know, I, I wonder what he would say today if you asked him is this possible and i my guess is that the answer is no um the the com- the country has become so sclerotic it has become so risk averse that people no longer just say what the hell let's give it a shot um and i think that's going to be a very very big issue going forward because the you know the avoiding risk has become the mantra of much of america and Excuse me. And the and the idea of avoiding risk is anathema to a vibrant economy.
0: Safe spaces.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, safe spaces. We don't need safe spaces. We need dangerous, scary spaces. And that's what creates, uh, you know, that that creates the the the, the fertile ground for a man who go, to go from being a small engine mechanic to to owning his own self, his own defense firm.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. But you know, part of it is just when you have drive and initiative. Um, at, at times, it it doesn't even, you know, matter what the specialty is. You have the work ethic; it's going to happen. And, and you know, th- there's another part of it with all that. That as far as the the college education, you mentioned carpenters. I promise you, a carpenter knows more about math than most um, four year college. Um, uh, four-year college graduates who get whatever degree they have. There's so much math involved in carpentry. There's so much math and, and and science involved in so much of the trades. And it's just like someone who plays a, a piano or a guitar, it's just kind of by feel. These people are, you know, they're doing these trades that's, that are successful at it. They're very smart. They don't have to look at a textbook um, and and do problems. To um to use their inherent math and science skill, and in, in fact, th- that's a whole other issue that I'm not, you know, qualified to discuss. How we educate just math and science, because the tradespeople I know are incredibly smart and full of, full of those skills, but it's not from um, a calculus problem that I can do.
0: Well, we're, we're educating them in social justice math. You know, yeah. where, where, yeah, uh, right. where the world where two plus two will always equal five, uh, you know, if you're black. And of course, uh, you, you know, and, but if you're not, then no, no, you're wrong and you get left behind. It's a real you know, there's also a part of this. And, and that is also the, the society's war against man, against men and, and masculinity. And this whole idea of, you know, it, excluding men from from colleges because they're because of, quote unquote, toxic masculinity. And not to be a sexist or whatever, but men are the one that men are generally the ones that take risks. And we have become, as CBD, you pointed out, a a completely risk averse society. And it's it's you know, it's madness. I mean, all of these you, you do these things. Boeing used to literally gambled. At least three or four times, they gambled the fate of their company on projects, like I said, like the B-17 and the 747, and they risked it all because in their gut, they knew that they were right. And God damn it, they were certainly right. The B-17 was a war winner. The 707 and the 747 revolutionized air travel and g- gave us the economy, the booming global economy that we had until, well, until you know, fairly recently. So we need this. You know th- this this gutsiness, this ability to, to, to and the freedom from you know to to be able to risk it all, and not all these agencies telling us you can't do this. It's too regulated. It's too this. It's too dangerous. Blah blah blah. It's dangerous for the environment. Carbon. Uh, you know toxic masculinity and so on and so forth. If we're ever gonna if that's the American, it is it is that that uh, you know the the, the 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 lone guy risking it all. And, and putting his ass on the line. If he fails, guess what? He gets up, he dusts himself up, and he starts all over again, as the song says. But in this day and age, you know, you can't do it because it's, uh, it's bad. It's, it, it, you know, it, it's, uh, it's bad. It makes people feel bad, and it's bad for the world, bad for the environment. Terrible.
2: So we're running a little bit late. Um, I would like to, uh, to put uh, Buck Throckmorton on, um, on the stage for just a little bit and ask him a question. Um, who is going to be, obviously, the Republican nominee is going to be Donald Trump, unless he's in jail. Uh, but who is going to be the uh, Democrat nominee for president in 2024? And who is going to be the president on January 20th, 2025?
1: I genuinely believe Donald Trump is going to be um, elected president. I think that you're going to see such a um below the surface and it's not a wave but it's a ripple and enough of it of of black voters that he the, the, the black working class is very much um receptive to Donald Trump's message the um what's being done um to replace um blacks in, in american urban areas with um foreign immigrants they may not vote republican permanently but they will vote for um, a much despised Republican like Donald Trump because he's not a traditional Republican at all. I think we're going to see um, a ripple of, of Jewish voters that have historically voted Democrat vote Republican at least this one election and I tell you what, getting back to the um, young the young men, there's something going on with young men. There's a little rebellion starting against the whole feminization of, of culture and, and the vilification of, of men. Um I, I really think there's going to be a surprising protest vote that Donald Trump stands a very good chance of winning states like Michigan, Wisconsin, and such that the um the margin of fraud cannot overcome this one time. I, I really think it's a one-time protest vote. It doesn't mean it's a major permanent crossover. As far as you know, and I everyone else at the blog does such a great job writing about the horse race. I don't think any of y'all have ever seen me write about the horse race, so um, <laughs> interesting that you yes, asked my opinion. But I do think that um, the the Democrats who are so about preserving democracy are denying their voters the chance to choose their candidate. And I think it's most likely going to be Gavin Newsom who's going to come in on a white horse to save them. Barring that, it'll be if not that'll be Michelle Obama. That's, that way, it won't have all the um the complications of getting Kamala out of the way.
2: Oh. Interesting.
0: Buck's lot right. more than Yeah. I mean, uh, wow. Such positive waves. Man. I know. I I'm, the, I'm very the, happy
2: <laughs> I asked that question. It sounds great.
0: You know something, though? Here's the thing. It may be a one-off, Buck, as you say, but beyond elections, I really do think there is an undercurrent of a sea change uh, in America that is, I think, at least at the beginning, awakening. Of how horrible, how destructive, how evil the American left and the Democrat Party have been, and sadly some of the frickin', you know, uh, Renfields in the in the Renfield, the Republican Party that have gone along with it just to make a buck. And elections being what they are, the the vicissitudes of that, whether they're rigged or not, you know, whatever. But going forward, I think there is going to be some sort of an American revival would be nice if it was a unified America. But if it splits up into a couple of couple of Americas, then, you know, then, hey, so be it. I mean, but that's something at least to, to hold on to. I hope.
2: <laughs> All right, folks, uh, it's time to say goodbye. Uh, Buck Throckmorton of uh, Ace of Spades and the org has been our guest today today. Um, he is an expert on the EV catastrophe and a lot of other things, too. Buck, thank you very, very much for joining us, and I hope that you will agree to, have, to be on again.
1: Oh, of course. It's great to
2: visit with you all.
0: For CBD, it's JJ Sefton. Thank you to our great guest and friend, Buck Throckmorton again, reading his columns at Ace during the morning rants, and also over at the pipeline, e Pipeline. O-R-G, the home of our other good friend, Michael Walsh. So for CBD and Bucks Rock Morton, uh, it's the Cuckjib newsletter radio network around the world, across the nation and up your street. Thank you so much for hitting the tip jar and we will see you again on
2: the next one. Thanks for listening folks.